Now, which part of Canada are you in? Are you in? Um, British Columbia. It's like actually really close to the States. It's like literally um, you can we can drive across the border into um, Washington. OK, yeah. So Sorry. you're in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Yes, I guess you can say that. Geography is, I'm pretty terrible with that. So <laughs> I, I gotcha. <laughs> have you always, have you always lived there or have you lived elsewhere in Canada or elsewhere in the world? Uh, yeah. So like my family, um, I was born in Nigeria and then my dad, he was a petroleum engineer. So essentially we moved to Malaysia for like five years, I think it was. And then back to Nigeria. And then when we were done high school, we kind of just went all over the place. So I was in Ontario, Canada, and then finally came over to BC. And since then it's been like, you know, back and forth, but like I have family in Houston, Texas, other parts of Canada. We're like literally all over the world at this point. It's very, it's very interesting. So I just want to see one of the, hmm? You must have like a very global perspective then, like in terms of how you think about the world, having lived in so many different places. I mean, I try to. And I mean, it's I think it's it's always nice to have that sort of perspective. And, you know, even just being here, like close in the lower mainland in B.C., it's one of those places where it's like immigration upon immigration. So it's kind of cool. You get to see different people, different cultures, your own people from like your own part of the world. So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I'd say like, it's, I feel lucky, but at the same time, you know, I still like to travel. There's a full, there's a whole bunch of places that I want to go to that I haven't gone to yet, but it's nice to have like a lot of international perspective, just staying where I am now. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, gosh, I can't, I wish I could relate. Like I've only ever lived in the U S and I live a thousand miles away from where I was born. But even then that only gets you maybe a third to a quarter of the way across the U S like living in such a large country. Yeah. (laughs) I I try to tell people like, especially when people talk about like, why are people in the U S always fighting about everything? And I'm like, Imagine like an entire continent's worth of opinions. And, th- and that's why, like, it, it, never mind the fact that people disagree locally around stuff. Now imagine you've got all the interests of, say, like Europe or Africa or any other continent, and they yeah. all are under the same overarching government. Like, that's one of the reasons <laughs> we have states in the first place. You know, when they yeah, set exactly. it up, they're like, you need some degree of federalism because if in this huge landmass, there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of different feelings. And, you know, like, if you like this one thing, that state over there would be perfect for you. You know, like, go, go live there. They'll, they'll do all the stuff you like. And this state over here will do all the stuff you like. And even then, we all hate each other. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Like, so many, like, opinions. Like, when, whenever I look at, like, you know, American politics, I find it's just very intriguing to, to, to a big degree. But also, like, it's cool to see, like, you know, a lot of the passion that everyone has for their standpoints. And over here, we're just like, yeah, sure, different cool whatever you say you know like people obviously care about issues but it's definitely not to the same degree as i tend to see like you know the passion that comes out when you're over in the states there maybe i need to be canadian like i i could (laughs) i can i mean like i'm a man of passion but like i could do with a little less sometimes like stuff gets hot and and i i don't you know i'm very intentional about not being political or i mean look everyone has their own opinions about everything like i've got my own political religious all other opinions but like uh, not that you know i i think other people's aren't important or mine aren't important but I'm, i'm sort of very intentional especially 
you know, you've only ever dealt with me before over social media. And I'm like, you know, when I'm on here, I'm going to be myself in the sense that I'm going to talk about stuff I, I love and stuff that excites me, but I'm going to hold back the stuff that like, you know, other people that that would be more divisive because everyone uh, yeah. feels things that, you know, someone else won't agree with. And it's like, because I'm, I'm on Twitter because I want to talk about data or and geeky stuff or whatever. It's like, why split the audience ever? Like, I just want to, I just want to be a source of fun and uh, sort of get people excited about their stuff. And that's what you do, man. Yeah. I think it's honestly, Twitter is, it's a very interesting place because like, depending on where you look, you're going to have an entirely different experience. Like I literally know people that are like, why are you even on Twitter? And how to kind of explain that the type of things that I'm doing on Twitter, I'm willing to bet is entirely different from what you're doing on Twitter. And even just randomly scrolling through, through my timeline, sometimes I see something and I click into the discussion and I'm just like, wow, like it's almost as though someone says one thing and then millions of people just sort of jump into it. And it's just like millions and millions of opinions and punches being thrown. And I'm just like, how do people have this much commitment to like almost just spreading such harmful and talking about things in such a way where they're absolutely there's no way you you don't know that that's going to be hurtful to someone but some people just kind of go in and like double down sometimes and I'm just like man I can only ever read these kind of threads I would never be able to participate like it would just be mentally draining but yeah I guess everyone has their uh you know their 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 interests you can say quote unquote (laughs) <laughs> I, by some fluke of fate, I have been in two different Washington Post articles about Twitter. Um, really? Yeah, because when Twitter was rolling out the sort of uh, dislike button, I was apparently one of the people they were testing it. I'm sure there were thousands oh, or maybe millions, but I was one of the people that took a screenshot of it and, and commented on it. And the Washington yeah. Post reporter uh, saw this and, and asked, hey, you want to talk about it? I'm like, sure, why not? I'm, I'm naive. Um, wow. So so I did an interview and then I, we actually did a second interview later because I, I reached out to her. It's like, you know, it's gone. Like it's not anywhere now. And that was around the same time Elon Musk was originally putting up his bid. So That's Twitter was hot again. So they wanted to talk yeah. about it. But oh, Twitter's wow. a really interesting thing in the sense that, like you were saying, you can have vastly different experiences depending on how you decide to participate with it. Mm-hmm. Like what you and I are doing is, is you know, working within a community and being pretty constructive for the most part. We're all interested in similar topics. And the idea is that we're all excited by the content everyone's creating. And I hate saying yeah. content creation, but it's that kind of thing. And uh, a lot of Twitter and what Twitter's algorithm generally seems to reward is piling on and just dunking on people. So like, you know, you can put out, you know, something that you think is fairly innocuous and then sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes people are trying to be inflammatory or, or, you know, uh, cause uh, passions to rise or whatever. And, you know, you'll get thousands of comments from absolute strangers you don't know based on like the 15 words you said or something, you know, and it's exactly. that, that's sort of what Twitter, um, you know, elevates. And like the d- dislike button, what I was commenting on when I talked about it with the reporter was like, Twitter already has a dislike button. It's called the comments section. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> and if the idea behind this, you know, because the idea was people couldn't see if you said dislike. Well, I'm like, well, in that case, you already have a block function. You already have a mute function and you already have an ignore keywords function. So like I ignore a lot of keywords because like I don't want like all sorts of political posts like flooding my stuff. I just 
it's mm. a turnoff to me and it makes me like less interested in talking because I, I want to I want to talk about data and I want to talk about fun stuff. And that's not to say I don't have opinions or don't care about the world, but that's not why I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's very interesting. So, like, did you get to um? So did they roll it out and you were the one? So did you test it out on a on a bunch of different posts, or was it just like you know you saw it and it was gone? I saw it and then it was gone within like a couple weeks at most. Um, but I posted a couple screenshots of it because it didn't. I don't think it appeared on. I'll have to go back and check, but I don't think it was appearing on original posts. I think it was appearing on comments almost um, okay. exclusively. Um, but okay. yeah, I did find it was an interesting take because I'm like, look, we already have like multiple built in tiers of things to say, I disagree with you. I exactly. mean, Twitter is famous for the ratio, which is where uh, if your comments outnumber your likes, you've been ratioed like you know, people piled on and didn't like your thing. So it's yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> but it, every form of social media, it seems has a version of that. Like Reddit famously has the upvote and the oh. downvote. And, you know, it, it's like, it, it's a difficult thing to operate in as a society, particularly when for like two years, that was all we had to talk to each other. And yes, it's like, yeah. <laughs> you're communicating through a means where your opinion is sort of held up for public vote, whether or not you just meant to talk to the 12 people that were your friends, which I guess yeah. is a constructive thing that Twitter now has that uh, limit who can comment on your thing. Because like, if you're like, hey, look, I'm just trying to talk to my my friends on here. Like, I yeah. didn't mean for this to become like fodder for the entire world to talk about. But, you know. Yeah. So it's very interesting too, when you see like, the comments of the original posters were even there just like how did i you know blow up so much and i guess the algorithm that's really what it does is you know the more popular the more comments the more this you know it just kind of spreads its wings and you can't really control it at that point you can only just like mute it i guess yeah and it's I, i've always uh, had some curiosity like how are you deciding what i see and we're like yeah. way off our, our traditional topic, but all this does, does, you know, this is data adjacent, right? But like, you know, Elon <laughs> Musk is doing his thing with Twitter and lots of people have very strong feelings about that. But one of the things he's talked about a lot is the algorithm. And yeah. there's actually a feature in Twitter where you can go and change it from, hey, deliver my stuff algorithmically to deliver it to me like sequentially in terms of post, which is how a lot of these yeah. services like Facebook worked originally. But then they started using the mm -hmm. algorithm and the algorithm, a lot of it has to do with marketing, obviously. They're trying to serve us things that we'll click on, and that's how they get paid. Um, because if something's free, then you're the <laughs> you know, you're the thing that's for sale. Like so exactly. all of us that our data and our comments, it's a it's an amazing marketing engine to talk to us. Um, and you can apparently switch it back to see that. But I think that's one of the interesting things that I hope comes out of if Elon Musk does purchase Twitter. I would like some transparency and knowing what is going on with this thing, because I don't yeah. know why, like. Twitter has the trending topics or whatever. Yeah. And I always look at that and I'm like, how did you decide I'm interested in Kim Kardashian? I have right. less than zero interest in this topic, <laughs> but every day you feel like I need to know. That is like, it's almost, I don't know. I think a lot of it goes into, you know, what's kind of popular generally around the world as far as like pop culture goes, because I think we're in a place where some of the stuff that really should be in the headlines is not there and some of the most irrelevant things that you're like i don't even care about this but it's literally apparently something that majority of people care about so it's it's very funny to see how that works and i do agree like some transparency and just exactly how it works it will be interesting because it, it helps you kind of understand okay what's actually going on here in this on this platform 
So I wanted to talk about your work some. And first off, I wanted to congratulate you because we just came off of Tableau Conference 2022 and you once again walked away with a literal armful of Vizzy Awards. <laughs> and at this point, I think you are either tied for the most Vizzies ever or may have upset uh, reigning champion Kevin Flerledge. I suspect you're tied. I think you have six now? Yeah, six now. Six, Good Lord, six. man. It's... Uh... I mean, thank you, first of all, Zach. I, I do appreciate that. And like, I will say personally, I I was surprised to see all of that, you know, especially given what happened last year. So, you know, when I when I did see it, I, I did kind of think, you know, about I was actually taken aback because there were definitely people who I had slated in my mind who would definitely receive what I got. Well, at the end of the day, it's like a community vote, you know, and I was kind of joking that if I could donate them, I definitely would. But at the end of the day, man, if I never win another visit in my life, I I'm, I'm definitely happy for sure. But it's just such an amazing feeling to sort of see like, that recognition and that support because like, I'm just doing what I love. And I guess, you know, a lot of people love it, too. And I think that that's honestly a lot of we can all admit that's like a really great feeling. So, you know, I'm humbled. I'm honored and like, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm satisfied that it, 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 uh, it happened that way. It motivates me to just keep doing what I'm doing. And that's what I really intend to just do. I, uh, I don't think you're going to win any more visits. And I'm saying that because I'm calling my shot now, but like, this is definitely your visionary year. Like if, if you're not selected as a Tableau visionary, rendering you ineligible for future visits this year, much like I said about Brian Moore last year, what are we even doing here? Like it, it just, uh, you know, and I, I'm probably not supposed to say that um, being a visionary myself. Look, I don't have any extra weight there. I've got no juice. I don't get to select people. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like you're you're clearly doing all the things that that are looked for in terms of that, both in terms of mastery of the tool as well as community efforts and just generally um, supporting the ecosystem. And I mean, you've got 101 visits out there. They're all bangers. Like everything is great in your portfolio. And every time I look at something you put out, I'm like, why didn't I do that? Like, it's, it's one of those oh things where <laughs> when you see someone else's work and you just recognize the amount of skill and care they put it into every, everything, and not only the, oh man, I wish I thought of that, but also that's a great idea. Well, I can mm -hmm. do that. You know, that's, that's one of the best things about, you know, being participants in a community like this, when everyone is putting out work and rather than it being sort of this all jockeying for position, you're able to see other great things someone does. I'm like, that's amazing. I can yeah. do that too, you know, and it's like everyone grows as a result. Exactly. I think that's really what it like what it boils down to. Like when people talk about like oh tablet public being an inspiration, with I mean, I think at this point they're like at what two million people on the platform, if I'm not mistaken. So just imagine, and I and I do I do agree, like sometimes you see some stuff is like that's fantastic. And even if you know already someone's done something, there's always a different way how you you can put your spin on it. You can incorporate your own ideas to it and just be inspired to do like something different that of course in turn is going to inspire someone else. So I appreciate you saying that, Zach. I do I do definitely like to look at a lot of the stuff you put out. So just, you know, hearing you say that definitely means a lot to me. I mean, I, I appreciate that. I, it's, it's, I honestly, with my own work, it's, I don't know, maybe it's like a twisted artist thing and maybe I'm giving myself way too credit saying artist, but I do something I'm happy with it. And less than three months later, I'm almost disgusted with everything I've done. Like it's really, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's like a totally unhealthy relationship, but I'll go back. And it's like, I was, um, 
I discovered uh, at the Tableau conference, um, someone had done custom Tableau uh, vans. And I'm like, oh, these shoes look awesome. So I was like, oh man, I can uh, I can do these. So I was like, you know, I was trying out the Data Plus Love logo on there. I was trying out the drag and drop logo. I'm like, what if I took one of my vizs and put that on there? And then I realized I'm scrolling through my portfolio. I'm like, hate this, hate this. That would look bad. Really? Hate and it's like, well, it's like, <laughs> it, it's totally, really, totally ridiculous, but it's, um, yeah, I do have some stuff that I, I still really like and I'm really proud of. Mm -hmm. And it's, I hate saying that because saying that makes you feel like if someone else looks at it and thinks it's cool or impressive or, or draws inspiration from it, that I would be saying like, why are you like that? That's not good. It's like, no, that's, this is totally me. I've got problems. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of the stuff you do, you can sort of tell that it's something that at least even if it's just in the moment that you were passionate about it and you really wanted to put it out there. So I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that, but I guess we all do have our own difference, you know, reflections over time on the work that we've done and the work that we do consistently. And it's constantly always evolving. So, you know, it is what it is, I guess. It's, it's being your own worst critic. So I, I've always liked art. So I, I've always, I, I actually was cleaning out my garage the other weekend and yeah. I discovered this box full of old sketchbooks and stuff all the way back to like grade school that my mom had saved. So I've got thousands of drawings that I've done. And I was perpetually the kid that never finished because it was either, oh, I, I, it's not done yet. Like it needs something more or alternatively partway through, I would feel like, uh, this isn't going the direction I want. And I'd bail mid project. And I can say, I probably only have about two hidden workbooks in my portfolio right now, projects I started and didn't finish, because what I've done is I've intentionally constrained myself with the exception of the two iron viz entries I've done for the feeder. Mm -hmm. Almost everything else in my portfolio was done in less than three hours. Wow. So like I get an idea. I'm like, I like this a lot. I'm going to yeah. do this and make it happen. I force it out. And I yeah. get it out into the world and then I move on to the next idea. And sometimes I'd come back and revisit the same data. It's like, oh, I've thought of another idea I can use that for. But yeah, by sort of constraining myself, I actually forced myself to like make stuff happen. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good approach to have though. Just kind of, I guess, you know, like Nike, just just do it. And that might even play into sort of why you feel the way you feel sometimes, because it's like, oh, maybe if I had given it more time or spam with that. But at the end of the day, like you said. Getting it out there, I think that's like the key. I keep seeing that in a lot of recommendations for how to be consistent. Just put it out there because like, you know, trust me, overthinking and overanalyzing is something that is real. Like there's, I'm the opposite. I have like 15, 20 visits that never came out just because it was like, no, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't seem right. But like, what if I do this? And you just kind of give up in the intro of your own sanity because it's like I'm not gonna obsess over this till death but if I ever come back to it and finish it fantastic but like yeah I think getting it out there I really respect the fact that you're able to just you know push it out the door and like call it a day so let me ask you this like again obviously your work is phenomenal both in terms of the visual aspects of it clearly you're amazing in terms of usage of space your color theory is excellent and your stuff is always sort of meaningful but like um when you're hung up on a project, mm -hmm. like, and this is a personal project, not a work project where, you know, there, that's its own thing. Um, what is the thing that usually hangs you or is it different each time? Is it finding sort of the story that you're trying to tell within the data? Is it, I don't know how to uh, express this on the page in a way that gets my point across or, or something else? Um, my typical hangups are usually around like, I hate to say it, but like I used to 
to be kind of like a perfectionist. And then I realized that is detrimental in a lot of ways. And so I would say almost everything where, you know, I'm going through, okay, what is the story that can be told here? How can we design this in a way that sort of fits that at the same time? How do we make this impactful, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, when, when you get caught up in all of that, it could take longer than it should. But I find now, essentially, I just kind of start and I almost freestyle through a lot of things. And then once I have like something close to a finished product, then I begin to assess based on what's already in front of me, as opposed to trying to always plan it out before. Because like, and I think it's a different style. Like I hear a lot of people say how they plan, they do this and they do that. And I really respect that. If I got stuck doing that, I would rarely ever have anything coming out. And so for me, I honestly just kind of start through and for better or for worse, like intuition really helps me in terms of navigating. And then after I'm done, I try to go back and try to mentally frame things so that I can understand almost the experience. That way, if I need to talk about it, I can kind of talk about, okay, this is what inspired it. This is what I did, et cetera, et cetera. But in, the first, in terms of doing it, now I just sort of jump into things. Like I'll, I'll choose, obviously, what is the type of analysis being done and what are the available charts to do it. I think that's kind of where I do spend most of my time is choosing my charts. And sometimes if I can't find the chart that I want to do, or the ones that are there are like stuff that I've used before or things that are like relatively simple and I do want to challenge myself, then I might just try to do something, you know, innovative or new with like the, the design. But uh, yeah, overall, the story is usually in the data. So, you know, we, we all have been trained to analyze data and it's just basically how do we want to show what we've seen in that data? Hopefully that helps kind of like answer that. <laughs> totally. Uh, I mean, I, I don't like wireframe or anything. And I, I was fascinated at the Tableau conference, like uh, Lindsay Betzendahl and Autumn Batani did a presentation on wireframing and, you know, using tools like Figma and stuff like that to sort of wireframe stuff out. And it's like, even with, with work, I never wireframe stuff. Like at work, we've got templates, which, you know, help con the constraint of the template is helpful because you're like, yeah. okay, I know I've got limited real estate. I know I'm only supposed to put so many charts on the page yeah. that uh, actually frees you in some ways to know, okay, like it's, it's not the wild west, like I'm limited and that means I'm free, which is weird. Yeah. And, and with my personal <laughs> stuff, like either sometimes when it's a really complicated idea, I've got mm -hmm. my little composition book and I might draw something in there, you know, a couple versions trying to think of like, what's the thing in my head that I'm trying to get up. But oftentimes yeah. very much like you, I'm already taking the data and building things and, and through that, I mean, that's part of my analysis process in the first place. Like I'm gaining an understanding of data. Yeah. by building some charts and stuff to understand what's here in the first place and you know yeah. what's going on and then in many cases some of those stick and i'm like okay that's that's value that's an idea i'm going to hang on to and in other cases it's like okay that told me something that i can use to express another idea but that's not a chart i'm going to hang on to yeah exactly and i think that's that's the good point there like just you're getting familiar with the data and i think where I started to see a lot of this happen was, you know, when Andy, I guess he's brought it back now, but when he originally used to do Watch Me Viz with Makeable Monday, that was like an approach that he would use where he would just kind of create different charts around the same data. And then he would decide on what he wanted to keep. And when I saw him do that, I'm like, you know, that's something that I think would be really helpful in terms of actually starting a process and just kind of moving with things. And again, in the same way, 
he would get close to the end and decide, okay, this is kind of where I want to stick with. And then from that, start to clean up, start to design, you start to annotate and kind of use it to push whatever message you're trying to communicate with the, the data at that point. So let me ask you this, in terms of topics you like to cover, you've got a wide variety of stuff in your portfolio. Are there any topics that you find yourself keep being drawn back to, or when you're looking at a new project, um, do you have like a list of things you want to hit in the future or does inspiration just kind of strike? Um, I'm, I'm motivated by like a lot of the um, community initiatives in the sense that I guess, let me take it back a bit here. So I, I love watching documentaries. I like to learn stuff. I like to see people explore different subjects of the world around us, different phenomena. And so when it comes to visiting, it's almost like a similar thing where, you know, if there's a subject that I haven't necessarily understood or I've not been exposed to, I'm more likely going to be interested or intrigued to visit about it. And so let's say, for example, again, going back to Makeover Monday, when you go through all the five years of historical data that's there, there's so many topics about so many things. And so that's kind of how my brain is when it comes to inspiration. And I mean, majority of the things that I think about, I haven't even done them, but I'd say anything that is almost worthy of exploring in the world around us, whether it's like, you know, sustainability stuff or past events or, you know, even things about like, I find maybe something about things about race tends to actually, that's when I say it's probably more predominant for me is understanding the different dynamics based on different things like I guess on the screen here, I can see, okay, America diversity, of course, that's something that I would be interested in to see, like, you know, place like America, who is who, COVID ethnicity, like things like that. I say race is something that, you know, going back to my history and my childhood of kind of being exposed to a lot of different people in a lot of different places, maybe that's where that curiosity comes from. But aside from, you know, like racial or ethnicity based topics, I say anything that is just going to communicate an aspect of humanity that we would not necessarily have known without being able to dig into the data, because there are a lot of assumptions that it's very easy to make based on our limited perspectives, but having that clarity to be like, oh, wow, okay, I was able to visit about this, and now I learned this about this. I think that's something that I always try to strive for. It's almost like a learning journey for me, because again, you know, I've been exposed to a lot of things, but I'm also really reserved in an interesting way. And so it's like a personal exploration journey that I go through when I'm visiting stuff. Really cool. It's I, I like what you're talking about, about sort of exploring ideas of different people and races and that sort of thing through the data. And it's like doing that is kind of honestly feels like almost a modernist philosophy thing where, you know, people have written books for the longest time about, you know, different cultures and different things in the world and data visualization while not new to that obviously you did the wb portrait gallery which is you know famous historical portraits uh, visualizing black uh, uh, americans experiences but it's like 
uh, through things like Gapminder, which um, our friend CJ mentioned in his Iron Biz presentation, you know, people are able to take and quantify different experiences around the world and help us to see and understand the world in entirely different ways. Like uh, yeah. years ago, when uh, Steve Wexler—I say years ago—it was like 2020 when Steve Wexler came <laughs> and presented at my tug, he um, you know showed Hans Rosling's famous TED talk where he shows the sort of mortality rates and, and, um, you know, it's a, it's an animation and traditionally yeah, I I've, I, yeah, it, it's like iconic. I like, I I've always sort of been skeptical about animations cause I've seen them done poorly so many times. And this one is just so iconic because he's announcing it like a horse race and you see sort of humanity sliding towards this, this better spectrum. And it's so counter to everything we've heard on the news and, you know, seen in the headlines and stuff. And it makes you like, well, what is going on? And then, you know, discovering Hans Rosling's Gapminder website, which uh, felt like Will Sutton's Iron Viz entry, where it asks you questions about common things that we all know. You know, it's like, what's the literacy rate like for uh, women around the world? And you're like, well, it's got to be bad, right? Like, uh, I've seen all the news stories. And I assume that everyone that doesn't live where I live is a lot worse. And, you know, you you click on it and it's like, well, you said this and 85% of respondents say that. But in reality, it's this. And you're like, Holy yeah. cow, like that's a lot better than I thought. And it's like just things like that that, you know, engage you and, you know, it sort of engages our humanity. You know, it connects us all together. It it makes us think about the world as a whole and, and our place in it and how, you know, maybe things are different than we perceive them. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good point is because like perception inevitably is going to rule understanding, but being able to have factual evidence to support those I think is really huge. So like, it's, it's awesome that you, you bring that up. So do you have, um, in, in your 101 visualizations now, um, like, do you have one that you're like, man, that one was the most work I've ever put into something that you remember? Uh, hmm. cause you've got some that are very complicated. When you say work, do you mean like, execution process or just like overall in general as as like because dealer's choice dealer's choice you pick i'll say this right um when it comes to technical and like, like building some of that stuff it may be hard but it doesn't really like i don't find it painful it's almost like challenging in an enjoying way so i think i'll go for you know, I will say my iron viz of last year, the, the new Jack swing. And the reason why this one over here, yes, that one. The reason why I'm choosing that one was because in a lot of the work that I do, it's talking about different subjects. It's talking about like different people. And I think this was the first one where I talked a little bit about myself and you know, talking about myself, I agree it's something that maybe we should all get comfortable with. But for me personally, this is like the first time I've even incorporated any of my personal experiences into a viz. And so thinking about it and reflecting upon it, um, there were some experiences that they're not always, they weren't positive, you know, in my, in my transition and my journey through life. And some of that came up when I was creating this space, you know, I talked a bit about, you know, coming out here on my own and just kind of being really young and kind of jumping into the world, et cetera, et cetera. 
And here I am today, right? I'm still in a situation where like my family isn't with me. I have to go visit, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that when I was younger was really challenging for me was, you know, I, I wasn't really comprehending like, why are we not together? You know, like I go out, I see my friends, I go to their homes, their family. So that was something that I didn't understand at the time. Um, but now, you know, we've kind of had discussions about it as a family and we've kind of got some closure around why we've decided to be the way that we are. And so, you know, I think I'd say that's where some of that difficulty came from was kind of just realizing that, like, you know, I guess I'm still, quote unquote, like on my own outside and away from that. And then, you know, you hear people talk about like, oh, you know, I was feeling like this. And like my mom was just came and like helped me. Da, 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 da. I'm just like looking at my mom through like the camera and those kinds of things. So now it's definitely a lot, you know, like you get used to that type of stuff. And then you kind of cherish and appreciate those moments more with your people. But I say for this one, that was really what it was. I think it was just that one aspect of it, like missing my family. That's kind of something that I felt a lot doing this. And, you know, just, you know, music and some of that stuff and how that kind of helped me find relief in some of those times. So from that aspect, it was hard because it's like, this is personal. It's vulnerable. Do I even want to talk about this? But I did. And I'm happy that I did because, you know, it was it was a good experience from like reflecting and then like visualizing and kind of just going through the whole process of INVIS where you're basically saying, hey, this is what I think. This is what I feel hope you can you know experience that with me i think i think you raised some interesting points and i for from the time i was 22 until my gosh maybe like right around the time COVID hit um my parents had moved back uh, to pennsylvania from here so i didn't have any biological family for you know a thousand miles and I went through some difficult times, particularly in the beginning, because I was like a young man trying to find my first job. I was unemployed for six months. I went through some difficult times. And uh, my mom always listens to these. So don't feel guilty, mom. I, you feel guilty about too much already. But anyway, I, I say that to say, say this. Um, I think you raise an interesting point about putting yourself into the data. And you know, we don't do that at work, obviously. At work, yeah. we have a specific objective we're trying to meet. And what we're trying to do at work is minimize the amount of ourself we put into our work because you know all data is collected somehow and that already has yeah. its own biases and then we're having to look at the data and that has its own biases and then we're putting it on a page and that so it's like it's already filtered through so many different levels of someone's yeah. interpretation right so like when we have these personal projects that we have the opportunity to write it's very different from when someone is trying to do a hard on the ground journalism reporting of what happened like in a specific situation in this mm -hmm. case it's much more oh i i can include personality in this and that's one of the wonderful things about these personal data projects that people participate in where yeah. we're able to include some personality into it and maybe sometimes that lends different context to a story than it would if you just relayed the facts yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think there's a lot of people who do that really well, like in the data fab community that they just kind of, you know, they take some of these topics and they infuse their personal experiences and they're touching on things that, you know, a lot of people may not be comfortable even going into, but they do it in such a way where you really have to just kind of admire that craft. And so I think it's a strength being able to, you know, use the data while also 
personalizing it in a lot of ways. So yeah, it's a, it's a, I think a thing that everyone should at least at some point try to do is just like tell some type of personal story through data because you have to go through like okay so this is a story and then you have to go to collect the data and build the data set so there's a lot of technical building that goes on with that as well too but of course you get the joy of bearing yourself and sharing yourself with the people around you we talk about the technical growth that people get through doing these projects but we we often don't talk about the personal growth people see through, you know, through doing these kinds of things, because people look at it. And especially if you're sort of outside, you know, the, the community doing this, like you, you make charts for fun. Like, do you, are you, right. are you okay? You know, people get, people get concerned <laughs> to look at you like you're weird, which, you know, we probably are, but it's, you know, hearing stories like, um, like Adam Miko, you know, who we all sort of jokingly call the data fam mayor and stuff like Adam Miko's mm-hmm. participation in the Tableau community has literally, literally transformed his his life, not just in terms of reinvigorating him, but Adam was a Wisconsin State Public employee. And he was, you know, in his early to mid 40s and was like, you know, I'm, I don't really love what I do. This job's okay. I'm going to coast along in this for maybe another 10 years and retire. And then he started getting plugged in and getting involved. And he started doing some public work and he started a blog and he started connecting people. And before you know it, he's like the chief data evangelist for Moderna and has like moved his, his family. He's making insane money. And I mean, he's still getting to do the stuff he loves. And now has also, you know, seen, you know, obviously he's seen like monetary and career success for it, but he's also feeling a lot more connected as a person because he yeah. discovered stuff about himself in the process and, you know, also found a really great community of like friends and colleagues. Yeah, I think that's such an amazing thing. Like every time, you know, I hear Adam talking about his story and his like growth and transition, it's honestly really inspiring because, you know, around that time, you're not really expecting a lot of changes, but it just really goes to show like all it takes is literally just that one event, you know, that and if he had chosen to just kind of keep everything on the inside, I don't think he would have kind of had the experience that he did. So I think that's just motivation in itself is just be you, you know, just connect, share. And a lot of great things can come from that. So, you know, really happy to see Adam thriving. It's, it's so inspirational for a lot of people too, who may not even be like comfortable doing that yet. All you have to do is see is look at him, the influence, the impact, and then how it's transformed him. And it's just like, yeah, it's definitely worth considering just you know, for, for us, as far as that personal growth goes. I mean, it's, that's one of the great things about the data fam that we talk about. And Adam is actually the one that said this to me once he says, you know, what I like about this, there's not like a hierarchy in the Mm -hmm. sense that, you know, while some people have like awards that have been given to them, or some people clearly make more money at work than others, you know, or different stages in their careers and stuff. Um, or even have different skill levels. There, there's never a sense that one person feels like, hey, I'm clearly better than you and I'm not going to talk to you. You know, it's uh, yeah. generally you can reach out to nearly anyone and, you know, they'll, you'll have a great experience. And, you know, if you have a problem, they'll usually help you if they're able to and that sort of thing. And um, I just sort of, it's really um, the, the power of people's willingness to give of themselves is just so exciting. And I want to tell you about this. I was actually thinking about this yesterday because I had a phone call with someone at Emory University. Okay. And they've got this program that they've started called Women in Technology. It was actually, mm-hmm. they brought it in. It was like a nonprofit. But it made me think about a lot of what Chantilly uh, Jagernoff has been doing with millennials and data at Howard University, where her idea was, I'm working at this historic black college to help students get technology skills that'll help them, you know, throughout the rest of their lives and to land great jobs. 
Well, this program when it, and in technology is like a free program for women that are essentially at the poverty line, you know, um, women that are in very, you know, often single mothers with kids, they're on, they're underskilled and are having problems, you know, getting work. And it's a 12 week program where they have people come in, teach them like Python, power BI and Tableau and other skills. And then at the end, they get a work placement for like 65 G's and like everyone gets a job out of it and it's, everyone's coming out super skilled and all they need are just volunteers like, like us to like, and I, when I say volunteers, they'll even pay you. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, you're getting to help like people really change their lives and not just that break like generational cycles of poverty. Cause if you think about the wow. opportunity there, it's like, yeah. not just for the mom, but for the kids to see like, Hey, look at mom. Like I didn't realize this was even something that existed. Yeah. And mom's out there. She's making it work. It's like, we're able to maybe go to a better school, live in a safer area, have a car stuff that they, they couldn't previously afford. And it's the kind of stuff that oftentimes isn't actually possible through some of the programs that we try to do, because sometimes just throwing money at the problem doesn't fix it. Like in this case, you know, you're, you're elevating her ability to provide for her family and stuff. And, you know, maybe breaking some of these, these cycles. And it's just like, I was talking to this guy yesterday. I'm like, this is so exciting. Like I need to know more. Yeah. It's, that's really such an amazing thing. Cause like, I think just even the type of confidence building and just a different outlook on life that someone can get from going through that experience. Again, it's just like a mother with kids, you're taking care of your kids. So that in itself is like a job, but then being able to know that you can elevate and just kind of grow and you may not have had the resources to do that. But again, there are people that are willing to sacrifice and help put that stuff out there in a way where it benefits others. I think that's the type of stuff that changes the world. Like, cause you know, one life at a time, that's really what's going on there. You're changing, like you said, generations and outlooks on life. Kids are looking at it and realizing that we're maybe not stuck anymore. We can also strive and thrive. So it's, I think those kinds of things are really huge. And I love to hear that, you know, people, people get involved with that. And Chantilly, she's always been doing amazing stuff with her work and Emory University, I think more universities should actually get involved in those kind of events. I understand not everyone can, but those who can definitely, I think would definitely be a lot better knowing that they're going beyond and above, above and beyond to like literally change the communities around them. I think it's like just that's such, how the world goes. It, it's, su it's such a great idea because like you were saying, it's like, yeah. that's the kind of change we can all make. Like, you know, we look yeah. at, we look at yeah. pictures, like, like problems, like poverty and stuff. And we're like, how do we fix that? Like, I can't help a million people. It's like, you might yeah. be able to help one. And in this one. case, you don't even have to give any money or anything. Like you can actually help someone by, you know, giving them the skills that they need to better, you know, provide for their family. And, and in this case, like it doesn't cost them anything either. They just have to sort of show up with a willingness to learn. And there's like yeah. a capstone project they get to do and everything. And they're actually even expanding the program to like reskilling. So um, if you are actually like a woman that is in a career path, that's not currently satisfying for you, but you're not sort of in the sort of poverty group uh, for $500, yeah. you can come and do the program and they'll still place you. Like you'll still get the job and everything. But if they're unable to place you in that group, you get all your money back. So it's like, you still walk away with all the skills that you could yeah. you know, retrain. And I'm like, oh, that's so, like, this is the kind of stuff like, 
early in my career, I felt stuck. I was like a software developer um, at a nonprofit and I didn't see a path forward. I was miserable and I stumbled into data accidentally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, between that and finding the data fam and really finding my passion, it's really transformed sort of my passion for, for work, but also for a lot of other stuff too. And it's like, I see that potential for other people and it's just so like exciting. Yeah, so true. And like, I think it's really t- timely as well, because, you know, you look at, you know, everyone keeps going back to the past two years, like the amount of data that's being collected and just to build up in addition to what we've already had in the past, we're moving towards a culture as a society where hopefully, you know, there's just going to be a different perspective of looking at things. I guess the world is word is data driven, even though some people don't like that word, but being able to have people that are ready and willing to jump in and analyze that data, find the important insights, that's going to be an important skill for like years and generations to come. I don't think there's like any turning point where we're going to start to reverse backwards anymore, because it's just been proven to be such an advantage in, in, you know, like implementing programs and finding success from like initiatives and strategies and objectives. So the more people that there are to do that, the better, you know, and I think being able to go through a program like that and know that at the end of it, you're getting a placement. I think that changes the game for a lot of people because, you know, people go through a lot of journeys. They want to change their paths, but they're not able to break in, say, to like a new field or a new industry. So that guarantee, I think, is really huge because it's like, you know, your time is not wasted. Your effort is not wasted. You're going to reap the benefits. And that's just motivational for those going through the program because it's like, you know, just imagine knowing that all you have to do is show up and you can change your life trajectory. That's like amazing. And you want to give back too, because obviously you realize that it's taken other people's efforts to be able to put that. So it's almost like, you know, you want to pay for it. You want to do better. You want to be better. You want to share like the impact that thing goes beyond skill development. I would like to look more into that. If you have some resources, I'd like to check that out because I think I really enjoy hearing about that kind of stuff. It's, it's pretty huge. And women who have historically, you know, gradually started to get more opportunities. This is just another way to keep that process moving forward and keeping them, you know, getting more and more represented in like the workspace and in the data space and everything like that. I will definitely send you some stuff after this. And if anyone else is interested, it's called Women in Technology. We actually already all have a friend that's working with them. Uh, I'm not going to shout him out in case he doesn't. um, I don't know. That might be (laughs) private. Um, But yeah, it's uh, if you're at all interested, uh, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter about women in technology. They are looking for uh, teachers to some of their their sessions coming up. I'm actually going to be sitting in on one to see if it's something I can commit to because they're they're not even asking for you to do it forever. They sort of do seven week sessions in Tableau. So it's literally uh, two or three hours on a Saturday for a seven week run. And they'll, they'll even uh, pay you a little bit for it. Not as much as you'd get if you were like contracting on the side. But then again, that's not why you'd be doing this. But before we uh, sign off today, Chimdi, this has been like su- such a like positive uh, hour that we've had now. Uh, is there anything you would like to shout out or promote before we wrap up today? Shout out or promote? Uh, I'm not really great at promotion, but I just want to, I guess I shout out, you know, obviously the data fam and like everyone who's in there. I think I'm just constantly always inspired to see what's happening. Um, I always joke that over the past year, I've just seen so many people elevating and growing and the standard is just being raised and raised. And I think that 
there's obviously a lot of impact that's going on, you know, by rubbing shoulders and interacting with so much, you know, amazingness around the world. Uh, personally, for me, um, why they're important is because there's a lot of things you get to see that you don't necessarily get to see, like in your day to day. It's like people globally, you know, sharing experiences and it's literally all because of the love of data. So I think, you know, just for participating and being a part of that community, everyone is going to be better in some way. And so, you know, I think it's, it's really such an impactful piece of the world at this point. You know, like we were talking about Twitter earlier on and how that can be such a very interesting space. But if you're looking for a non-negative Twitter space, you just need to, you know, hashtag data fam and you found it. So it's like, yeah, shout out to everyone in the data fam, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And then like, we love you, you know, I love you. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you could get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.